Hello and welcome to episode 3 of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. I'm Adam. Next week, we turn to fraud as we explore the murky aspects of the world of internet dating. But for today, it's murder. So here's the thing. You've just committed your first ever murder, and a really brutal, callous one at that, where you have first tortured your victim, and then you've inflicted a frenzied attack as they lie there, defenceless. What now? What would your instincts tell you to do? Would it tell you to get away as quickly as possible to make your arrest less likely? Or would you choose to pose for a selfie outside the house where the crime has taken place? Now, I know what my instincts would tell me, but Michael Danaher, who we're going to be talking about today, his instincts chose the latter. It was a particularly gruesome selfie as Michael's thick, bushy beard was still smeared with the blood of his victim. This unpleasant picture, and even without the blood, Danaher, he's, he's got a very disturbed look. This picture stared at us from news sites earlier this year, after he was found guilty of murder. Now, many people felt that the picture shouldn't have been published at all out of respect to his victim. Others, me included, felt that it was absolutely right to show the picture. I mean, what, what do you think about this? So, my view, I think it's the right decision, so we can start to understand the sheer horror of what had taken place, and the sort of person who could actually behave in this way. So how had Michael Danaher got in the desperate position of having committed murder and was now standing, taking a selfie, outside a flat in Ifley Road, Oxford, during the afternoon of April the 7th, 2016? Let's take a detailed look back at Michael Danaher. Danaher lived in a small flat in Peterborough, which is a small cathedral city in Cambridgeshire. It's about 95 miles north of London. Age 51, with worsening diabetes and weighing 28 stone at the time of the murder, Michael Danaher's life was clearly in a downward spiral. The father of two sons, he was separated from his wife, Evelyn, and she'd branded him as venomous during their seven-year relationship. She noted he'd a very short temper. She claimed that in their time together, he would often return home with a black eye after becoming involved in fights over what she considered as, as nothing, and at times he could be extremely aggressive. One acquaintance saw him as, well, described him as an arrogant slob who spent his nights playing computer games and surfing the internet. Another described him as an arrogant man who always thought he knew more than you. He liked taking the mickey out of people, but he certainly didn't like it when people returned the sentiment. Danaher had previously worked at John Lewis, a big department store here in the UK, and then at a local engine manufacturer, Perkins. But he fell out of his boss a few years before the murder, and he took a package to leave. Since then, he'd been unemployed, but he'd managed to scrape together some sort of a living by buying and selling low-value items on eBay. He'd also lost some money in a recent investment scam, and he was now over £13,000 in debt. And he was getting desperate, really desperate. Danaher was determined to make money to ease his financial woes. And from late 2015, he started to make plans, often plotting late into the night, alone in his flat, about just what he was going to do to make the money he needed. 
He began to draw up a hit list of potential robbery targets, including a number of well-known wealthy people, which he saved on an Excel spreadsheet marked Enterprises. Danaher recorded their names, their addresses, and also how he would kill them, why he would kill them, and the expected loot from his crime. Some of the methods he listed included stun gun, and the words alongside read sister and daughter along with the word ransom. Essentially, this calculated list, it read like like we'd make an everyday list of things to do and people to see, but it was in fact focused on either stealing, robbing the target's homes, or by demanding a ransom by kidnap. Now, Danner had done quite a lot of research online, and he'd researched the home addresses of a number of well-known UK personalities. Look, bear with me here. I use the word personality lightly in some cases, but please just stick with me. They included Simon Cowell, Eamon Holmes and Anthea Turner. Also on the list were ex-footballers Gary Lineker and Rio Ferdinand and the chairman of the Football Association at the time, Greg Dyke. Now, Danaher seemed to have a particular dislike for the Conservative Party with the words Tory scum written alongside wealthy and prominent people with connections to the Tory party, including Geoffrey Archer, Adam Simmons and Adrian Beecroft. Also on this list was the book and art dealer, Adrian Greenwood. Danaher's first attempt to turn his plan into chilling reality was to target the North London home of Adrian Beecroft. He's a wealthy businessman, well known in the UK for his involvement with the moneylender Wonga and a donor to the Conservative Party. On the 22nd of March, around two weeks before Danaher committed murder, he tried to force his way into Peacross House, posing as a career and pretending to have a delivery for his daughter. Luckily, Beecroft's wife immediately became suspicious and she screamed, raising the alarm, and this led Danaher to flee empty-handed. Undeterred by this failure, Danaher moved down the list to another potential victim. And next on the list for Danaher was Adrian Greenwood, a high-profile dealer in arts and books. On the list of enterprises, a note by Greenwood said, Modus? Any. Suggesting he would deal with him in any way possible. Expected take? Rare books. So, who was Adrian Greenwood? After leaving Imperial College at the University of London, Adrian Greenwood began buying British Rail lost property, umbrellas, coats, anything else he could find, and then selling them on at London car boot sales for profit. From there, he moved to antique furniture, and then in 2000, year 2000, he started to sell books online. Now, one of his specialisms was Harry Potter books, and he came to the attention of the UK public after a rather public spat with J.K. Rowling, who's the author of the Harry Potter series. Found among some books he bought at an auction at London Sotheby's was a, is a hand-coloured invitation to Rowling's daughter's second birthday party. This was before she made it big, along with a list of potential character names for the first Harry Potter book. When Adrian Greenwood put these on eBay, Rowling's agents really didn't like it at all and demanded they be removed for breach of copyright. But Adrian argued there was no breach of copyright if no pictures of the items appeared, and so he sold them without images. 
Adrian later diversified into all forms of art dealing. Most notably, he, he sold a lot of works by the infamous London street artist Banksy. He supplied items to a broad range of clients, including the British Library and the Getty Museum. So how would a small-time eBay trader like Danaher even come into contact with Adrian? It transpires they'd first met at an auction in Henley at the end of 2015, as it was then that Danaher realised that Greenwood had a, a very rare book. It was a 1908 edition of the children's classic, The Wind in the Willows, and this was for sale. This book was worth so much because it was highly unusual with an original intact dust cover and the estimated worth was upwards of £50,000. Now this led Danaher to start searching for information about Adrian online to see how he advertised his goods for sale. He was thorough in his preparation. Before he killed Adrian, he'd made five trips to Oxford to check out his victim. He then visited him at his home on the 17th of March a few weeks before he killed him, buying two crates of books from him and telling Adrian that he would return a few weeks to buy some more books as long as they sold okay. The next time he did go to the house in Oxford, this was when he brutally murdered Adrian Greenwood. The night before the murder, Danaher was busy online. Late into the night, he was making a number of searches, including a document called Getting Away With Murder, Britain's Most Notorious Crimes. He also searched how to buy a handgun with a silencer, how to hide a gun in a car, the techniques of secret killing, opening locks without keys, and mobile phone security and forensics. The next morning at 10.45am, Danaher was in his car en route to Oxford, where CCTV captured him arriving at Adrian's house at about 12.55 and leaving two hours later. What happened during the time that the two men were together inside the house, it's unclear. It is likely the two men went into the kitchen together, as the police later found a pint glass with Danaher's fingerprints on them. Adrian suffered 33 punch and stab wounds, which were all believed to have been inflicted by the knife later found at Danaher's house. Danaher stabbed Adrian in the back, chest and neck and broke his arm by stamping on him with his foot. One of the wounds that Danaher inflicted on Adrian was four inches deep, just to give you an idea of the, the sheer savagery of this attack. Adrian didn't give up, he fought desperately for his life, and there were defence wounds on his hands as he attempted to wrestle the knife away from Danaher. One really disturbing part of this attack was some of the injuries were caused by the tip of the knife, which police suspect were caused by Danaher torturing Adrian in an attempt to make him reveal the whereabouts of the expensive book. When he left the house, Danaher took the blade of the knife with him, leaving the handle on the ground alongside Adrian's bloody body. Danaher didn't leave alone, as well as the copy of the rare Wind in the Willows book. Danaher also took other items from the house, including Adrian's wallet, his mobile phone, laptop camcorder and a Nikon camera. After killing Adrian, Danaher returned to his flat in Peterborough. Callously and showing no remorse whatsoever, he opened his laptop, went down to the entry for Adrian and deleted his name. He then listed the Wind in the Willows book that he'd stolen online at a knockdown price on eBay without the dust jacket. And also that evening, 
he wrote a letter which he in the end did not send to Adrian Beecroft's wife. Remember Adrian Beecroft being the first potential victim that Danaher visited but was scared off by the, the wife rumbling him. In this letter, he demanded 200 bitcoins, which is around 100,000 UK pounds, to leave the family alone. And he told her to read the local paper, the Oxford Mail, for updates on the killing of Adrian Greenwood, as this is what could happen to her family. It seems that for Danaher, he saw the murder of Adrian as his first job completed, but ruthlessly it was time for him to return to his unfinished business. That evening... Danaher attempted to explain the cuts on his face and fingers to his 15-year-old son. So he invented a story where he'd been attacked by two men half his age in South End, a coastal town in Essex. In this elaborate story, he told his son he'd been the victim of a theft and also suffered a violent assault. Bizarrely, Danaher told his son that at first there had been a knife hanging out of his cheek, but then he'd managed to get it out and fend off the others. What a hero. This was, of course, utter fiction and again demonstrates that Danaher liked to portray himself as anything but the loser he really was. The next day, Thursday the 7th of April, Adrian's body was found. At 2.58pm, the emergency services were called by a cleaner after his body was found in the hallway of his four-storey home in Oxford. Adrian was only 42. A post-mortem revealed the cause of death was multiple stab wounds to the neck and to the chest. On Sunday the 10th of April at 11pm, Danaher was arrested on suspicion of murder. The police trail had quickly led to Danaher after phone records and number plate scanning traced Adrian Greenwood's mobile and Danaher's Citroen Picasso car to Peterborough. In his flat, they found a stun gun disguised as an iPhone, a pair of bloody boots and the broken murder weapon. When he was arrested, Danaher claimed to be unwell and he was taken to hospital. The police accompanying him noted his very strange remarks, which were a million miles away from someone who claimed he'd acted lawfully in self-defence, which was his later tactic to gain his freedom in court. For example, spotting a plastic children's knife, he said to officers, you don't want to be leaving that near me, adding later, It might be better if they just let me die here. I make bad life decisions, don't I? When he had recovered enough to be formally interviewed, he initially denied murder, providing a prepared statement in which he expressed his shock at the death of Adrian Greenwood. After that, he just fell back on replying no comment to all questions. On Tuesday the 12th of April, faced with overwhelming evidence, Danaher was charged with the murder of Adrian Greenwood. At his trial, which took place at Oxford Crown Court, Danaher denied murder but claimed he killed Adrian in self-defence. Danaher was strangely emotional throughout. At one stage, his childhood friend Michael Gilner gave evidence based on conversations from the time he visited him while Danaher was in custody at Woodhill Prison. When Danaher saw him, he took off his glasses and just brushed away the tears as he looked at the jury. When questioned about his enterprise list, Danaher completely denied involvement, telling the jury that a man who sometimes used his equipment must have created the list. This man would freely come and go from his flat at all times of the day and night and had full use of his mobile phone and laptop. 
Sometimes this mysterious man would also borrow his car, which is why, according to Danaher, that his car was traced at the homes of Adrian Beecroft and Adrian Greenwood. In the 48 hours following Adrian's death, Danaher had made internet searches for rich singletons, guns, getting away with murder, safes, wind in the willows, Beatrix Potter and Peter Rabbit. However, he denied making these searches, again blaming them on the mysterious man with access to his flat and belongings. Danaher was unwilling to name this man, claiming he'd been threatened with consequences if he did so. Police, unsurprisingly, were unable to track him down. In his evidence, Danaher had told jurors that Adrian became angry when somebody who was expecting to come and visit him did not appear. He said he got irate and he called me an obese tosser. He would not let me get my bag and he pushed me. I fell down the hallway. He added that he managed to get hold of the knife and he swung it in self-defence, but he did not intentionally stab Adrian. When asked why he took some of Adrian's belongings, he said, I was shocked and I was angry. I wanted to make him pay for attacking me, so I took some of his belongings. I put the book in my bag and also a camera. I was just angry with him. Clearly the prosecutor for the defence found this line of argument unconvincing, saying, The defendant should not have been there trying to rob him and can hardly complain of Adrian Greenwood reacting by asking him to leave. He added, It takes a certain person to have done what the defendant did to Adrian Greenwood. To use brutality to scare someone he'd already terrified. Called, calculated and controlled, before, during and after, and unpinning it all was greed. It was money he was after. The jury of eight women and four men at Oxford Crown Court took three hours to convict Danaher of murder during the three-week trial. On the 24th of October 2016, sentencing Danaher to life imprisonment with a minimum of 34 years, Judge Ian Pringle QC said that the savage stabbing had involved significant planning and premeditation. He added... Despite the fact that at 50 you had no previous convictions, warnings or cautions of any sort, it's clear that during the course of 2015 you dropped this list, probably to rob or burgle people or perhaps kidnap people and hold them to ransom so as to gain funds for yourself. It's clear from the timeline in this case you became almost obsessive about keeping up on celebrities. Following the case, Detective Superintendent Kevin Brown along with Senior Crown Prosecutor Rebecca Waller, said the following. We are very pleased that the jury have seen through Michael Danaher's lies, self-pity and arrogance and have convicted him of Adrian Greenwood's murder. Adrian's family have been living a nightmare since April the 7th. This case represents a tragedy for them and Adrian's friends. Today's conviction won't bring them any comfort, but I hope they are satisfied that the man who killed their loved ones has now been punished. As for Adrian's family, as dignified as ever, they just commented that they were pleased that justice had been done through this conviction. As we have heard, this is, a, this is really an appalling case. Driven by greed, Michael Danaher didn't care who he harmed. It was all just about his greed and getting what he wanted. As Prosecutor Saxby said in court, it's almost as if these are people who, because of their wealth and his lack of it, deserve to be subjected to what he has planned. 
You wonder what made a man who'd never been in serious trouble all his life devise such a scheme. We've heard on many occasions today about his arrogance. Had this led to a a kind of sense of self-entitlement, which in his warped mind justified his actions? Whatever the reasons, I think it's just lucky for us all that Danaher is now likely to die in prison. He'd be, what, 84 by the time he was released, if he was released. As for Adrian Greenwood, it was his transparent way of doing business that ultimately led to to his death and allowed him to be targeted by Danaher. I suppose you've got to ask the question, should he have been so easily traceable to his home address when he was selling such high-profile goods online? Maybe there are echoes of the recent robbery of Kim Kardashian in Paris recently. Many commentators say that she'd arguably made herself a target for thieves by flaunting her wealth and the potential massive rewards for a robbery. However, whatever actions we take to protect ourselves from our online dealings or in our face-to-face dealings, maybe often it's just luck that we never have the misfortune to cross paths with someone like Michael Danaher. Thank you for listening and I hope you've enjoyed episode three of our weekly UK true crime podcast. Please take a look at our website at uktruecrime.com, follow us on social media and please join us next week for episode four. It's going to be a cracker. Bye for now.